This is episode 44 of Cinescope, and some things in here don't react well to bullets. Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today is TJ Draper to talk about one of his favorite films, The Hunt for Red October. TJ, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Chad. Thanks so much for having me back. It's It's been a long time since I've been behind the mic, it feels like. I haven't even recorded one of my own podcasts in several months, like two months or something. So I've noticed. I've missed it. Yeah, I have too. I've just been kind of buried in work lately. Well, I don't know if I told you this, but my cousin, Summer, actually listens to the podcast. And she told me, hey, you know what guests of yours I really like? TJ. I was like, you know, nice. I like TJ too. And it's because we've got this this good back and forth. We've podcasted <laughs> together for a long time together. Several years. Just great rapport. Uh, it's always fun to get behind the mic with you, TJ. Yes, you too. Um, yeah. I, well, and it's good to be appreciated. Thank you so much, Summer. I, I like being appreciated by people. <laughs> <laughs> well, just uh, for those of us out there who have not been listening and don't know you just yet, how about a quick reintroduction before we get started on our movie discussion? Sure. I'm, uh, as you said, I'm TJ Draper. I am a web developer. I make things for the internet, as my Twitter profile says. I think it still says that. Uh, so yeah, I make things for the internet. And I also create podcasts uh, when I am able to. Uh, I'm in a little bit of a uh, kind of a ramping up on a project. And, and you know, Joe has also had a lot of stuff going on in his life. He's my co-host on my podcast, uh, Retake. Uh, so uh, we we've kind of put that on the back burner, but it, we're we're gonna we're getting ready to plan some new episodes there for that. So I don't even remember nightowl.fm uh, slash retake is where that podcast is at, and uh, buzzingpixel.com is my website for my web development, and that's pretty much all I'm famous for. Awesome, and I look forward to retake returning so I can hear more of you and Joe talking movies. Yes, me too. Well, let's just go ahead and jump into it. Are you ready? I am so ready, Chad. I um, I was racking my brain. I, and in fact, I pitched to you first when you said, "Could you come be on the show again?" I said, "Yeah, I'd love to do that." Let me think of what you know, something we can celebrate. And I thought, well, you know, we could follow up on this deal that we did with Star Trek II, um, which is one of my favorite films of all time. But then there's other Star Trek films in that series. You know, I wanted to kind of talk about Star Trek IV, but then I said that you should watch Star Trek III, if, even though we're not going to talk about it. It leads in. You know, it's kind of the bridge between Star Trek II and IV. And you're like, well, I don't really have time to watch two movies, you know, like the like the uh, the drag that you are, Chad. So I said, <laughs> well, okay, let's let's do something a little more digestible. Let's let's do something that I've I actually and and it's kind of uh, kind of a is fortuitous the right word. Uh, basically, I watched um, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit with my wife. I rewatched it, and she hadn't seen it before, and so we got it on a net DVD, Netflix DVD. That's still a thing, apparently. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so we watched Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, and I was reminded of how it has a good first two acts, is good Kenneth Branagh, you know, stuff in there, and but then the third act falls so hard on its face that it just completely ruins the whole movie. And and so I kind of needed a palate cleanser, and for for Jack Ryan and the Hunt for Red October is the best Jack, definitive like it is the definitive Jack Ryan film in my opinion and so this is this is great this is this is kind of a fortuitous event it is kind of funny because Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit is a movie that I don't remember much of but that is one of the movies we talked together about on Movie Bite back in the day 
Did we? Yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, the 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 show title, I believe, was something to the effect of I am Russian or I am stoic or something like that. And it had me yeah, doing a pretty yeah. mediocre Russian accent. <laughs> I remember that now. Yes, yes. It, yeah. And I think that film is was much worse on my second viewing you know, a couple nights ago. Uh, Sunday night, I think it was. Um, it just, man, it, it just falls so flat on its face in the third act, and none of it works. And my wife was like, what the heck is going on? I don't understand any of this plot, and half of the stuff they set up just doesn't go anywhere, and it doesn't do anything, and then it just all, it's all techno babble, and then done. Yeah. <laughs> and a, dr- a, van, a van drives off the bridge, and then it's over. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a movie I've thought about revisiting. I'll put it that way, but maybe I'll rewatch it sometime and We'll see what happens. But, well, uh, it's it's so disappointing, Chad, because the movie we're going to talk about tonight, it, it, you know, this is really the start of the cold Jack Ryan kind of thing, even though Alec Baldwin never came back as Jack Ryan. Like, it was the start of the franchise, really. Right. It's the very first one. And it's still the best. Like, they still haven't done, you know, you know whatever. Harrison Ford is a fine actor. I think he was the wrong choice to play Jack Ryan in the other films. I enjoy them to some extent, but this is easily my favorite Jack Ryan film. Well, let's go ahead and talk about it. So just some stats behind the scenes kind of stuff. It was released on March 2nd of 1990 and was directed by John McTiernan, yeah. who also directed a whole lot of big 80s and 90s action films, including Predator, Die Hard, Die Hard with the Vengeance, Medicine Man, Last Action Hero, The 13th yeah. Warrior, The Thomas Crown Affair, Rollerball, and Basic. It was written by Larry Ferguson and Donald E. Stewart and was based on the book of the same name by Tom Clancy. The music is by Basil Paladoris, who's not a composer I'm overly familiar with, but he's got quite a filmography behind him. Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer, Red Dawn, Robocop, Spellbinder, White Fang, Free Willy, Robocop 3, the live-action Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book, Free Willy 2 The Adventure Home, and Starship Troopers. The movie stars Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, Scott Glenn, Sam Neill, Courtney B. Vance, James Earl Jones, Jeffrey Jones, Joss Ackland, Richard Jordan, Tim Curry, Peter Firth, Ronald Gutman, and Stellan Skarsgård. So what was your first experience with this movie? You just talked a little bit about your more recent experiences with the character, but what about the first experience with the character? So my wife introduced me to this film early in our relationship, and I, I don't remember, if, uh, honestly, if we were still dating or if it was early on in our marriage, but um, it, she she said, oh, yeah, because we were as we were getting to know each other, you know, it's like, well, here's some of my movies, here's some of your movies, and let's figure out if, which ones we have overlap with, that sort of thing. So she introduced me to this film, and I immediately uh, fell in love with it. Um, I was just, at that time, coming into a deeper awareness of film. I had just started working at a film company right before Rachel and I were married. And so it's a small film company. And but but the point is, I was kind of really starting to get into film and learning how film worked. And I just loved this film. And I don't think I would have appreciated it so much when I was younger. But now learning how to appreciate film and to love film more and the slow and steady pacing, but just constantly driving at the plot, like but not but not, you know, rushing into the action and stuff. It's just slow and steady and so good. Um, I, I just that was my first impression of it. And, and, you know, that I just, man, I just love it. So for me, this was my first experience with the movie. Uh, oh, nice. You asked if I had seen this and you, well, you acted pretty crazy whenever I told you it was my, I hadn't seen it before. Well, it's just because I love it so much. It's right, hard right. for me to fathom that you hadn't seen it. But funny story, back when I was in middle school, so 12 years ago or so, um, I had gotten my first iPod video and I had somebody give me a super crappy digital version of this movie. And 
luckily, I think I want to say luckily, I never watched it because I can't imagine my first viewing of this movie being a low resolution iPod video experience. But like you said, I don't know if I would have appreciated it back at that age. And so watching it today on a bigger screen, higher definition, I think was definitely the way to go. And I, I did enjoy it. It, it, it's a submarine film and there there's definitely a sort of, I don't want to say formula because it has a negative connotation, but there's just a, a style to submarine films. And it's exactly what you were talking about where it's, it's sort of slower paced. It's really pretty character focused and it's just a slow buildup of uh, tension and suspense until the, the big confrontation at the ending of the film. And I really enjoy that kind of film. I like the slower pace of action film rather than a lot of the bigger explodier action films we did get in the 80s and 90s. Well, and yeah, and it's so easy to follow, but it's also so enthralling to kind of follow what's going on and what what will Marco Ramius do next and how is he going to handle this situation and how are they going to how is he going to defect when everybody's gunning for him and and all this all this stuff and it's just really uh, if if you're following the plot, if you don't have to have the flashy explosions to keep you satisfied, which I don't, then it's it really does kind of keep you you know on the edge of your seat. I mean, not, obviously not after the first viewing, but on your first viewing, I, I, and I'd be interested to hear if if that's the case for you as well. Because for my first viewing, I was really like, how is he gonna? How is this gonna work? How is how is Jack Ryan going to get his point across? How is he gonna get the guy to be able to? to uh defect when when the you know nobody trusts anybody and and you know the it's easier just to blow him out of the water because you know he may be a rogue mad russian who's gonna you know blow nukes up every you know nobody can hear his submarine nobody knows where it's at it's almost undetectable and he's gonna blow everybody up that's the fear right and and so like it's it's just I think it's it's thrilling, you know, edge of your seat kind of stuff uh, in a different way than, you know, filmmakers feel like they have to do now where it's like, uh, oh, let's see, a little bit of plot, explode, uh, here's a little bit more plot, oh, boom, you know, and uh, yeah, this is so much, so much better. Yeah, just talking a little bit more about the story, Connery's character at the beginning of the film, uh, Ramius, he says something to the effect of submarine warfare is a game of chess. Mm-hmm. Or no- naval combat, really, in general, but especially submarines, because in chess you take you play your move, you ha- uh, the next person plays their move, you play your move. It's it's a back and forth, and in submarine combat, th- these are not fast moving vehicles. You're not zipping through the water and zigzagging left and right super fast. It's it's very much turn based gameplay, if you you want to use that analogy. And what's cool about this movie is it's a three or four way game of chess in a lot of mm-hmm. respects. You've got Ramius versus the Russians, the, his initial escape, then eventually at the end of the film, the final confrontation where the other Russian sub has caught up and is firing missiles right at the, the climax of the film. Right when you think he's gotten away with it, uh-oh, here's, here comes trouble. Then you've got Jack Ryan sort of versus the, the U.S. Navy, Th- these people who are assuming the worst, which in a way it's their job to do. Well, but it's he, prudent. Right, exactly. And he has to be the sort of voice of reason, the or at least the, the voice of doubt. What if he's not the bad guy in the situation? And so you have to, to watch him carefully plot out his moves as he's trying to find the best route, the, to find the information that's going to lead to proving him right. Then you've got on the whole, the U.S. versus the Russians. This is on the tail end of the Cold War. There's been the space race. There's been all this kind of conflict, not not genuine conflict like head-to-head combat, but just who's going to blow who up first in a lot of respects. And so when this conflict happens and 
Uh, the Russians are saying that Ramius has gone renegade and is going to go blow up the U.S. And the U.S. is trying to come up with a different narrative for the situation. It's all about who's telling the truth, who's manipulating who, who's concealing the truth, and then who are you going to help and who are you not going to help? And so I, I love the the chess match-esque nature of the story. Yeah, and we really get good good chess play toward the end of the film, too, where, you know, the uh, Captain Tupolev makes his move, but then Ramius makes his move, and it's completely unexpected, and nobody thinks it's the right move, but it turns out it's exactly what saved them from, you know, the torpedo, and there's just some, some great play going on at the end of the film. What else in the story draws you in, TJ? Well, I think overall, my, my primary like of this film, uh, I mean, and, and it's kind of considered a... Uh, what would you say, a, a right-wing, you know, military kind of a, a film. And, and and I suppose rightly so. But I love that this story kind of shows us that, you know, yes, we have the normal, you know, blowhards from the military that want to blow everything the kingdom come and sort it all out later. But then this movie reminds us that, no, there are real people behind decisions on both sides. It's not just they're Russians, you know, or from the Russians' perspective, they're Americans, they're stupid, you know, they're Russians, they're going to, you know, be Russians. It's not quite like that. Not everything is painted quite as easily as, as we would like to believe sometimes. And and there are real people behind these decisions being made. There's, there's you know, there's characterization there. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things that we we want to do is is kind of paint with this broad brush and say, well, every, you know, in this case, Russian, or it could be a Middle Easterner or whatever in our modern day, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of this way. And it's like, no, no, these are people and they have thoughts and they have opinions. And, and in this case, you know, uh, Ramius wants to do what's right. He doesn't want the Russians to have a... a uh, a game-changing machine that's going to, you know, uh, be a first-strike weapon to blow everybody up. And, you know, the I think somewhere I read that the idea was that the this submarine, the, the, this class of submarine, not just not just the the Red October. Obviously, the Red October's uh, d- design was that it couldn't be detected by radar very easily. Uh, but 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 this class of submarine has the capability of destroying 200 cities, uh, average size, you know, American cities. And and like that's something that Ramius felt was not good for for the Russians to have, and and so it's 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 better characterization than what we think of every you know of our enemy would be. Oh well, they're just they're just Russians and they're going to be Russians and we just need we just need to blow them up, um, and and translate that to the current political climate. I think works well too. Exactly. I don't have a whole lot more to add to that until we get into character discussion. But uh, there was one sort of tidbit that I really appreciated both times it happens in the film. And that's at the beginning of the film when you're very clearly in the Russian sub, you're in the Red October and everybody's speaking Russian, you have subtitles. And then they make this very smooth transition from Russian to English. That was just yes. like a, a small yes. filmmaking technique that I really appreciated. And I they, they they did it at the end as well uh, when when Jack Ryan and team have boarded the Red October and it's established that Jack Ryan speaks a little bit of Russian and so they make that same switch and it, it really is just cleverly done. It, it's something small that I appreciated. Yeah, and then, you know, as far as what draws me in about the story, I love the the plotting of the submarine battles. Um, so so the Star Trek film that we discussed, Star Trek Two, it features a scene um, which 
which uh, is very much like a submarine battle. And I really love that battle. And I think as it turns out, I love I love the idea or the way submarine battles work. And, you know, the, the same way that we saw some of those great things about good submarine battles in Star Trek II, I think we see even more of it here. And the very slow and deliberate pacing and, you know, Ramius having to be a step ahead of Tupolev and all this stuff, like just the submarine battles, you know, the, his, and his calm, cool, collected demeanor as he he's, you know, strange way past the point on the chart and uh, that's how he's able to disarm the, the torpedo by letting it run into the side of the of the canyon and on all this stuff like I just I love the submarine battles they're so great right and that that moment in particular when they're in the sort of underwater trench and they're having to make these zigzags while being chased by missiles that really shows his skill as a captain as somebody who has been in this industry for 40 years he says he's been on the water for 40 years yeah and you're you're the tension is rising you can clearly see it in the eyes of his crew and i'm feeling it as well i mean logically i know being a fan of movies and knowing how they work that they're going to get out of it but i don't know to what extent i don't know if they're going to suffer some sort of damage or if they're going to get away pretty clean and it, in the end, it's sort of both, and you're you're just waiting. Okay, when's he gonna say it? When's he? Go- okay, now we're turning, and now you're watching the turn. Are they gonna make it? Are they gonna make it? And that that is just something that's so novel about submarine combat and maneuvering that allows that slower pace to be so tense. A, a, a phrase that I wrote down in my notes is action intention. It's yes. not about the straight up action of things. It's about the tension behind exactly. a, a scene. And that is where the, the excitement comes from. And then, too, I think that this story, uh, I, I think that whether it's uh, John, uh, whether it's Clancy or whether it's McTiernan, I don't know. But there is a, a great, just as an example, there's a great scene between Vasily and, and Marco uh, talking about America. Um, and, you know, where Vasily is talking about how he's going to marry a round American woman and live in, uh, was it, is it Nevada or something Montana. like that? Montana, Montana. And he's going to, he's going to live in Montana and then he's going to have a summer home in Arizona. And, you know, I think I will need two wives. Oh, at least, you know, and it's, right. uh, it, it's, it's such great character development that you, you know, when you, when you're too busy, you know, having explosions and transformers and things going boom, like you don't get time to spend with these characters the way that McTiernan lets us spend time with these characters. And, and it's not not just these two that's just an example like you get to spend time with these people and learn who they are even some of the smaller characters like Jonesy on on the uh, on the Dallas you know doing the sonar stuff like that 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 is just such great characterization of of characters and people it's just so rich and full uh, so that you know that that's yet another thing uh, I think your question was what draws you into this story and and those those are some of the things that really draw me into this story this film And again, that's an example of why submarines are such a great setting for these kind of stories, because they're not characters thrown into the middle of a fight scene where they're throwing punches and shooting guns. They're they're participating in combat, but it's a very different kind of combat that allows those slower uh, separate character moments. So, yeah, it, it really is cool and a great way to spend time with characters and learn more about them. Yep, absolutely. So let's talk about those characters. Just first on my list is Jack Ryan. What do you have to say about Alec Baldwin in the role? So uh, he's actually second on my list. I was doing an order of, uh, of favorites, but he is, of course, really good. I think Alec Baldwin, this is easily the best, my favorite uh, role that, that Alec Baldwin has done. 
Um, it, it's it's very dialed down from what you normally expect from Alec Baldwin. He's much less of a jackass, and and he's fairly likable here. And and of course he's he's our hero, right? So, or or one of our heroes. And so yeah, I I think that um, I I wish we had seen more of this type of thing from Alec Baldwin because he's obviously really good at it here. Um, just just like the the way in the in the room uh, when he's called in to brief the the joint chiefs when he wasn't expecting to and then he's sort of sitting there putting the pieces together and all of a sudden he just slaps the table you know and he uses a uh, phrase that I, I can't use on the podcast but like he, <laughs> he 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 yells that out and then everybody's staring at him like you know and he's but but he's put it together right he just just now it just clicked into place what's happening and that really kind of sets our plot in motion that, that oh no Ramius is defecting like we didn't know for sure that that's what was happening either up until that point and he put the pieces together and it all made sense and and so yeah, Alec Alec Baldwin in this role is. I, I wish we had seen more of this out of Alec Baldwin's career, because normally when I and maybe I just haven't seen the right roles, but normally when I think of, of Baldwin, I think of you know the smart Alec, you know, yelling. You, you, um, what's that movie where he uh, he's uh, he's playing a? Of course he's playing a bad guy. He always does. I'll think of it in a minute. But anyway, you talk about Alec Baldwin. I'll look it up. Okay, that scene where he theorizes that Ramius is actually defecting and not just going rogue and setting out to destroy the United States shows how great of an analyst he is because he has taken this bit of information and this bit of information and he's put them all together. And this is a logical conclusion he's come to. But I also love that before that we actually learn about who he is without them having to tell us who he is. We see that he is spending time with his family and he's close with his daughter and he's having to say goodbye and all this kind of stuff. He's leaving his family behind to go on this job. And also something is just passively said about a back injury and how's your back doing or something to that effect. And so right off the bat, it's, it establishes that anything outside of being behind a desk or behind a, a book or computer screen is sort of out of his comfort zone because it, it, he's not the physically, capable person that he maybe was in his youth because of his injury and it gives us that much more tension later in the film when he's put into those situations that he clearly doesn't belong in and it also shows his level of dedication because he's so confident in his belief that Ramius is defecting to the United States rather than going uh, crazy with a missile in a submarine he he goes beyond what is expected of him and he puts himself into situations where maybe he's not going to come out okay on the other side despite himself having this back injury and despite himself having a family that he could lose or at least they would lose him if he was to not end up in a favorable position at the end of it. And I, I really appreciate his dedication that is displayed in those scenes. Um, and there's something small, the, the idea of his fear of turbulence. The first time he's flying <laughs> yeah. out from London to Washington, D.C., he's he's scared of sleeping on a plane because he doesn't like turbulence. He doesn't like the, the bumps as, as you're flying through the air. And by the end of the film, after he has jumped off of a helicopter, basically into the, the freezing water where he'd only <laughs> have four minutes to be rescued um, yep. before freezing to death. And then after chasing this saboteur down a russian submarine with the gun he he comes out on the other end and he's he's sleeping like a baby on the flight at the end of the film and it, it, it's a subtle thing it, it shows the 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 growth he's gone on through the course of the film and that's the great sort of character development that mctiernan does great in this film 
Yeah, so so the the role I was thinking of was from The Aviator. I knew that I was going to kick myself, and I couldn't remember the name of that film because it's such a great film. He plays the um, Pan uh, American Airlines or American World Airways uh, founder, uh, Juan Tripp. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and that's the sort of role I think of when I think of Alec Baldwin. But here, obviously, yeah, a, a, a role that I wish we'd see more of, as I, as I said. Right. And I, I also like the dynamic between Ryan and the other people he's interacting with, because earlier on this podcast, we talked about Crimson Tide, which is another submarine movie. But in that one, the central conflict is between two commanding officers and mm. they're they're fighting over sort of who knows how best to react in this situation. And neither of them are wrong per se. It's just which one comes up victorious in the end. Here, he's not a naval officer. He's not in command of a vessel. He is working on a gut feeling and experiencing the data of things, yes, but he has to find a way to prove that he knows Ramius and knows how he's going to respond to different situations and his motives and all that kind of all those kinds of things enough to convince these experienced sailors and these experienced captains in order to convince them that his he's he's correct and that they're not their lives aren't at stake with this guy. Yeah, and it's 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 a risk to take for for them too. I mean, cuz all their experience and everything that they know tells them they just need to blow the sub up and and deal with the fallout later. Like Right, and their know, orders that, too. The safe, right, that's their orders too. So yeah, I I appreciate all of that stuff that's packaged into Jack Ryan as a character. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what about Sean Connery's character? I'm assuming he's your favorite. He is my favorite. Um I I wrote down that he he reminds me of like what like like a muggle submarine captain version of Dumbledore <laughs> because like he he's so calm and cool under pressure just the way I always pictured Dumbledore from the books by the way not the movies oh my gosh <laughs> he's so calm and cool under pressure and he doesn't feel like he always has to explain himself sometimes he doesn't have the time to explain himself but he knows exactly what he's doing he knows the exact outcome he's likely to get he knows what's going on like he's such a cool care you know cool customer and you know just just several several scenes where he he plays out this thing so cool and and, and in a way I would point out that only Sean Connery could do and the funny thing is Sean Connery was a last minute replacement for an actor that was going to play I can't remember the actor's name that was going to play this part but I I can't see anybody but Sean Connery playing Marco Ramius and it's just such a such a great kind of a a role that he played here I really love it I mean and you know I think my favorite character from and this is controversial and since I mentioned Dumbledore my favorite character from Harry Potter I think is probably Dumbledore and so I, I think I'm just drawn to these sorts of characters that that handle them that comport themselves in such a manner and that's you know I I, I don't like the um, and this is again one of my one of my problems overall with with the movies when they re, when they cast Michael Gammon is that he's so not the Dumbledore from the books so I love that we get this cool character. You know, I, I just I just love him. I love him so much. What's interesting is at the start of the film, you have to sort of guess his intent and his goals because we don't know anything about what he's planning to do. And here we see him murder a man in his cabin. Yes, he, he just yes. grabs him and throws his head back and he's gone. And at that point, we're like, okay, now... Are you the good guy or are you the bad guy? Basically, you're a Russian, so I'm inclined to think that you're the bad guy, but l- let me watch a little bit longer and see if I can figure this out. Right. It's like, is, is he the cool, calculating villain or is he the cool, calculating good guy? Like, you don't know yet. And, and and like I said, you don't really find that out until that meeting with the Joint Chiefs, and that's when you're really pretty sure, finally, that you know which way the character is going. 
Exactly. And then even then, though, he's this he's a character who's slowest to divulge information about himself. We don't we, we learn little by little about who he is and what his motivations are over the course of the film. We learn about his wife pretty early on and uh, our, my condolences to his wife. It's it's been a year or whatever. And then he reveals later. Oh, I wasn't even present for my wife's death. I was gone at sea. And yeah. then later, I am looking forward to just having the freedom to go fishing like I used to do with my dad when I was a kid. And so we're learning bit by bit about him. And at the end of the film, we still haven't gotten an official reason for why he has decided to defect until he explains to Ryan, no one needs that power to to start World War Three, basically not not in this way, not in such a destructive way, and that's why he forfeits the the weapon and the the, the submarine over to the Americans and decides to defect. So you can see this clear guilt and not having spent enough time with his wife because of his naval responsibilities, and then aside from that, the beyond just the guilt at not having been there with her. It was time spent away from her with a regime and with a a country whose ideals he doesn't agree with. And so that's just like a some salt in the wound, basically. And that, that really adds up into why he has gone on this grand adventure and put so many people at risk in order to do what he thinks is the right thing to do. Yeah, and I love the part where he's revealing to the the crew that is with him, that that is defecting with him. That he that he wrote the letter, you know, or or they found out that he wrote the letter. Somebody told the rest of the crew that he wrote this letter to, of his intention to defect to the admiral of, of of the Russian navy, whatever they call that in Russia, and uh, and they're all just, oh, you've killed us, you, they're gonna catch us, you know. And he and he finally, after you know, like five minutes of them going on and on about how awful he is for having done this, he said, basically, uh, what was it? The um, I have the quote here somewhere. Uh, but but he you know basically he's burning the ships you know he's like uh, it motivates the people um, to to, uh, to to commit to, to commit to the to the goals yeah I can't find the quote but um, yeah it's such a, it's such a great quote I mean and that's such a great you know character moment for him as well kind of revealing how he thinks and also like I don't think he could have defected without writing that letter like I you know it did uh, oh here here's the quote when when we reached the new when he reached the new world Cortez burned his ships. As a result, his men were well motivated. <laughs> so, right. you know, and and that that kind of reveals the heart of the character and the motivation. Like to him, it was a the right thing to do to write that note to say, "Here are my reasons for defecting." And we never get to see what was in that note, but I think we can kind of guess, you know. And then, you know, the other one too is obviously, well, we're committed now; we can't turn back. Because I I think the crew kind of revealed their hand in in, in being so angry that he wrote the the note that at any point. They could claim malfunction or they could claim something went wrong, you know, whatever, and they could go back. But 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 he kind of closed that door to his crew by writing that note of defection. And so that that is such a great character building exercise uh, for, for us as an audience. Right. He's tactical. He's extremely tactical. And that Very. is one of the, the many ways in which it's shown how tactical he is outside of a moment of combat outside of navigating the submarine through this trench. It's just a move that's going to guarantee the support of those people who claim to have already supported him, but who might've had a way out if he hadn't uh, blocked that way, basically. Yes. Yes. Now, another character I had mentioned uh, was Vasily, who's played by Sam Neill. Mm -hmm. And I think this is probably the only other film I've seen Sam Neill in aside from Jurassic Park, which 
seems crazy to me. And I, I haven't looked for sure to see if I've seen him in anything else. But uh, I liked him here. There's a great 13-episode television show called Alcatraz, and it ends on a cliffhanger because I uh, they were obviously expecting to go on. Uh, but it is worth watching, and it features Sam Neill, and I, I think you should watch it. Okay, I'll but check yeah, it out because I really yeah. liked his character here. He's um, such, such a great guy. He is, and what he was actually probably the character I felt most attached to. He wasn't maybe my favorite character, but he's the one who I uh, sympathize with the most. Yes, yes. He... At first, I sort of question, you know, why are you sticking with this Ramius guy? What what in him makes you follow him? And one, I think they've obviously worked together for a while. They have a closeness and just experience together. But then we have the scene where they're together in the cabin. And he says, it's what you were talking about earlier, where he says, I think I will live in Montana. I'm going to have two wives. And in the mm-hmm. winter, I'm going to go down and live in Arizona. And he has envisioned this life for himself in America because... The wall hasn't come down yet in Germany, and it's still a communist regime, basically. Yeah, the the film is set in 1984, so this is definitely right at the height of the Cold War. Exactly. And so he's envisioning this life of freedoms that he would never have if he stayed in Russia. You see his aspirations in this, this life he has envisioned for himself, and he's really the only character we get these very clear spoken goals. Everything else is sort of implied or revealed slowly with time. But this is a character who's saying, this is what I want for myself. Well, and, and you know why McTiernan did that to us, too. And it gets me every time. Like, I know exactly what he's doing, what McTiernan is doing now that I've seen the film. And But it gets me every time we get to it, you know. And, and uh, are we allowed to spoil this? this we part? are, of course. Okay, and yeah. that's actually where so, I was headed. Yeah, so so the you know it every single time it, it gets me. Maybe not as much as uh, another film we talked about spot with Spock's death or anything, but but it, it gets me every single time where we've gotten these goals and these aspirations. This guy has a life planned out for himself that he he may or may not get. I'm sure he understands. Like as a political refugee, like he may not ever get these things. But he you know doggone it, he's going to the free world. And it gets taken away from him. And it's so, you know, and he, I would love to have seen Montana, you know, and it's just such a, so heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, Chad. Yeah, that scene really got to me this viewing. Um, I didn't see it coming. And when he said, I would have liked to have seen Montana, it just, it tore me open. (laughs) Yes. It it was sad. Uh, And it's because we got that earlier background from him and these aspirations from him and got attached to him through that. And to see in the moment of his death, that's what he thinks about and it's gone. And it's just, it's just, it's sad. Yeah. But it's a big testament to how likable he is as an actor and how well written he is throughout the course of the film as well. Yeah. You know, again, following the theme, all these characters, but especially Vasily, I think they're all exceptionally well-written characters. Yes. Um, Any other characters you want to talk about? Stick. I, I mean, I mean, Bart Mancuso. <laughs> Tell me you've seen Daredevil. I have not. Are you talking about the, the Netflix series? Yes. Oh, man. What is wrong with you? Yeah. So Stick from Daredevil makes an appearance here. Obviously much, much younger. Uh, this is Scott Glenn's character, Bart Mancuso. He's the captain of the Dallas. Um, and he's he's the cautious, you know, you know, submarine captain. 
Uh, he's suspicious of Ramius, and then he gets his orders, and he's suspicious of Jack Ryan. Uh, but he, at the end of the day, he kind of comes around, and then he has this great scene where, you know, because uh, Jack Ryan and Ramius are off to find the saboteur on on the Red Red October, that he has to take command of the Red October, and so he has his moment to shine there, and and he had a couple other shining moments as well. I just he's he's exceptionally, I think, enjoyable because he's a no nonsense guy who knows what he's doing, but yet he, in the end, he's willing to give way and say, you know what, you know, you're right, Jack Ryan. I, you know, let's do this, and you know, he's he he basically. As he said, we unzipped our fly. Let's see what happens. You know, if he so much as twitches, I'm going to blow him to Mars, you know. <laughs> so, no nonsense guy is exactly the phrase I was going to use. So thank you for using my phrase, TJ. Oh, I'm sorry, Chad. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but you you summed it up. He, he's a fun character because he is no nonsense. He is He's there to get the job done. And whether that's through fulfilling his orders as delivered to him or through doing the right thing as advised by Jack Ryan, who has this analytical experience he's considering his options and is taking the best course of action and i like that about him yep absolutely and and for goodness sake chad go watch daredevil it's on netflix man <laughs> i will i will <laughs> oh my goodness and now there's two seasons of it oh you oh daredevil is especially the first season i mean the second season is fine the, th- the first season is is just it's a game changer in my opinion it's so good it's so good and 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 Stick Scott Glenn plays a character named Stick, and he's he's really good for the role that he plays too. I wish he had had more to do in Daredevil, but he's in it for like three or four episodes or something. Ultimately, yeah, very good. I'll check it out eventually. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> um, any other characters before we move on? Yes, three. Uh, Jonesy, who who doesn't like Jonesy? Come on, man. Um, I liked him. He, yes. Yeah, he's he's really good. I, I don't have much to say about him. Just I I loved him and and just you know his 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 quips and his his character and his lines and his funniness. Um, Admiral Greer because duh, James Earl Jones, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, and and I asked I, I I watched it with my son Alan and I asked him, do you recognize that voice? And he finally I had to tell him it was Darth Vader. And he's oh yeah okay I get it now. Uh, but he's he's he brings such gravitas to that role, and then he's like, you know, goodness, Jack, I told you to speak your mind, but I, <laughs> you know that was right. such a great moment. And I like that scene at the end where oh, uh, yeah. he's on the the battleship or the aircraft carrier. And the torpedo he... did not self destruct, and I was never here. Exactly, he's <laughs> I was never here. Ooh, <laughs> just that kind of character. Yeah, yeah. I'm here off the record, kind of thing. I, I like yeah. that. Well, Greer, uh, James Earl Jones actually plays Admiral Greer, I think, in all three, at least, but at least two. I, I think Admiral Greer is in all three of the movies, but I, I'll have to I have to revisit the Harrison Ford movies now. Uh, but yeah, oh, that's um, cool. I didn't realize there were any overlapping characters oh, yeah, yeah, played yeah, by the same actors. Yeah, it's supposed to be in the same series. They just the studio decided to replace. Uh, they they could get Harrison Ford, and he's a bigger draw than than, than Alec Baldwin was, and so they got him. And that was stupid. It irritated me. But um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So he plays Admiral Greer in other Jack Ryan films as well, and he's kind of an anchoring. Like he's really high up, you know, and he's kind of an anchoring presence, and and so that's it's a it's a great yeah. I mean, he's a good character. And I also want to throw out a mention of Jeffrey Pelt, the National Security Advisor, the late Richard Jordan. Uh, he's, he's the one who is, uh, he's a politician, you know, so, uh, uh, what does it say? Uh, which means I'm, I'm a cheat and a liar. And when I'm not kissing babies, I'm stealing their lollipops. But it also means I keep my options open. (laughs) (laughs) So, so he's actually, uh, he was from, I think, was it Boston? I think he was, he was from, but he does a great, like, it sounds like a Mississippi accent, I think. Uh, so yeah, I, I, he, even though he said he was a cheat and a liar, he's actually a really likable guy, uh, in this movie. 
Yeah, I liked him just fine as well. And then I, I guess I can at least mention Tim Curry, who's a Greek <laughs> character actor, and he's got these big white eyes the whole time. He's not quite crazy in this role like he is in a lot of other ones, but uh, he's a great presence on the screen. And I didn't mention it earlier, but at the end of the film, when the, the big submarine battle is happening, but basically between the three vessels, you have the, the Russian crew that they have tricked into thinking that they are going to sacrifice themselves in order to save the rest of the crew. And they're sitting on the carrier looking down and they're they're cheering or they're mourning in response to what they're envisioning is happening below the water right 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 and uh that's just a a fun little scene and tim curry's uh visible on that and he's told uh ramius that he's going to get the the order of lenin for this and he they obviously have them completely fooled yeah, yeah. Was he the character? I think Tim Curry's character is the one that said when the Dallas emerges from the water and that emergency, you know, thing where it pops up out of the water. I think he was the one that said, uh, the Cap- Captain Ramius, you know, scared him right out of the water. <laughs> right. It was either him or one of the other crewmates nearby, but he was definitely there for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Let's go ahead and talk about the music a little bit. And I don't have a whole lot to say about the music this time around, uh, just because I've only have the one viewing under my belt and I'm not overly familiar with it otherwise. But uh, something I really noticed was the use of this this really Russian sounding music, this authentic um, Eastern music to contrast the idea of nationalism. All these crewmates who are at the beginning of the film singing the Russian national anthem or whatever mm-hmm. is they're singing. It's mm-hmm. very... Uh, tied in with their identity as Russians versus at the same time, Ramius defecting from Russia. So it's this weird, really cool contrast of nationalism versus uh, I guess, anti-nationalism in that case. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the score is kind of, you know, I love all the parts that are, that have the Russian, like, like it's the, uh, the, the vocalized, but it's not, there's not words. What do you call that? You're the music major. You should know this. Um, it's but, just but, but, choral. Choral, yeah, it's choral stuff. Russian music, and I love that. There, there are parts where the the music kind of strays into this more bridging the '80s and '90s feel a little bit too much uh, that I don't care for. And it's not a score that I can actually like. I, it works well for the movie. It's not a score that I can listen to. I've tried, but I, I just can't do it. I, it's not a score I can listen to on its own. But it works well in the movie, and especially the Russian parts. I love those. Yeah, I noted that well as well. It's very much sort of bridging the '80s '90s action adventure film gap, and. Like other submarine movies typically have, it's got some smaller elements of horror film music just because they're they're isolated environments and the tension is high. And so anything they can do to ramp up that suspense and that, te- that tension with just the sounds they're going to do. And that was part of the score, I think. It was also part of the sound editing, which this film won the Academy Award for. Yeah, no, the sound editing was great. Yeah, absolutely. And and just, you know, everything felt, you know, I, I was reading some article before we started recording about how they took like, uh, they made about 120 different sounds for the ping that they used to, to, to you know, to do the sonar ping between the ships to covertly right, to communicate yeah, their location. Yeah. Well, the, the sound guy made like 120 different versions trying to get it right, you know, before they were all satisfied. Like that's the level of detail they went into to try to get the sound right for this film. And I think it shows nothing really feels like it's sounds out of place you know it's so the sound editing is definitely really great in this film now let's just talk about the takeaways the themes the relevance all that kind of good stuff what what's a takeaway for you from this movie well, I think I kind of already gave away my big takeaway, which is, you know, connecting the political climate uh, and, and the way we view 
uh, we tend to view the enemy, and it's really just not ever quite that simple. Uh, sure, there are there are bad guys, and uh, there are, are people who I, I think I think people on both sides of the aisle can can freely admit that it, it, when we're looking at the enemies of our country, that there are certainly bad guys out there. There are people who who want to destroy us and to hurt us and and, and that sort of thing. But it's never easy to it's it's never the right thing to just just say these are the bad guys and they're all bad and we don't want to do anything you know we don't want, we don't want to mess with any of them and that's not that's life is never that simple it's never that clean cut and i i think this film dem demonstrates that sort of thing very clearly so sorry i'm, I'm kind of repeating myself because that was really my big takeaway from the film as far as themes and relevance as you have outlined here maybe i'll think of something as you mentioned things <laughs> and, that, and that's definitely a big one it's the idea that People aren't black and white, whether you're the quote unquote good guy or quote unquote bad guy. You are doing what you see right by you, by your country, by uh, your organization, whatever it is, you're, you're doing what you think is best. And that can be completely different for different sides of the equation. So that that is a, a good point. One that I had written down was the idea of doing the right thing despite personal risk. You've got yeah. Jack leaving his family and placing himself in danger, such as, like I said, jumping from the helicopter, chasing the saboteur with the gun. Uh, you have Ramius, who's not allowing this powerful weapon and vehicle to be in the hands of the Russians. You've got Mancuso listening to Ryan despite his direct orders. Yep. He he's been given orders and technically going against orders you're well you're not supposed to do that. Uh but he does it because Ryan has convinced him that it's the right thing to do. And then you've got Ramius's crew and his officers following with him despite the the obvious risk of getting caught and what would happen if the the rest of the crew caught whiff of what they were trying to organize and get accomplished. Yeah. Um, so everybody is putting themselves at risk in order to do what they see is the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good one. And then another one I'd written down was teamwork. Um, one of my favorite scenes of the film is that ending climactic submarine battle. And it's not in that moment about Ryan and Mancuso and Jones being American and Ramius and his crew being Russian. It's just these people are unifying to overcome their adversaries. You have... You have Ramius getting shot in the shoulder and un incapable of basically commanding the the submarine at that point. And so Mancuso steps in and he he is, takes control of a Russian vessel, not in a malicious way, but to protect all of them. Uh, so it, it's yeah. just a, a big show of teamwork in that final those final moments. And I really appreciated that scene for that reason was because it was people bridging gaps in order to uh, overcome adversaries. Yeah, I do love that final scene where the Russian defectors and the Americans are working together on the Red October to keep them all alive, you know, to, to, to keep the to keep uh, Tupelo from from uh, blowing them out of the water, as it were. Exactly. Any other takeaways or how about final thoughts? Final thoughts. So uh, I think this is a great film. It's it's one of my favorite films. Uh, I, I love it a lot, and I I want to share that love with other people. And so I highly recommend that you you, you know you watch this film. It's not going to be your uh, your action driven you know explosions everywhere, robot stomping you know whatever. Uh, it's it's not going to be like that. It's not a modern movie in any way. And yet in some ways I think that this film 
far outstrips the the you know if the, like like I said the recent Jack Ryan movie that was made they just they had to go for so much more action and 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 stuff and it just it, it that doesn't work for Jack Ryan and and I think that this film is uh, is great just because it doesn't go for that sort of thing and it's a slower steadier pace and and if you enjoy movies and you know like I like I like we do uh then this is this is a great movie for you to to kind of dive into Agreed. It's it's a pretty simple story. There's nothing overly complex going on here. It's easy to follow, but that doesn't mean it's it's simple in execution. It's it's an entertaining watch. It drives up the tension pretty quickly and really absorbs you into the storytelling. So it's pretty effective if you're into that kind of genre, which I don't know why you wouldn't be. Yeah. And the characters likable. There's great buildup in their stories as well, and you get attached to them, and you stick around to see what's going to happen to these characters beyond what's just going to happen in the story itself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I'm actually pretty interested in maybe even potentially reading the book after seeing the film and maybe exploring more Tom Clancy and more Jack Ryan. So uh, that's my takeaway. I, I, I just enjoyed the movie. So thank you, TJ. Again, it seems it's a pretty standard thing for you to introduce me to new movies when you come onto the show. Yes, I, I intend to continue doing that uh, when, when we, whenever we can work out the, the Star Trek thing where you can watch two movies. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I, I, I've promised you that uh, that is on the list, and I will get around to that, so maybe next time it can be another Star Trek episode. Yes. Well, that is the end of the official 44th episode of Cinescope. Thanks once again, TJ, for joining me tonight. Oh, it was my pleasure to be here, Chad, and good to get behind the mic again. It's, it's uh, got to get back on the horse, man. Yes, you do. And I will be there to listen as soon as you do. <laughs> Great. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash Cinescope Podcast and at Cinescope Pod on Twitter. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, especially if you want to enter the giveaway. Listen to past episodes. We'll talk about it more again in the future. But for now, just know there's a giveaway. And if you rate and review on iTunes, you'll be entered into it. Email feedback and ideas to the Cinescope Podcast at gmail.com. And also, if you are interested in co-hosting, if you have a movie that you love that you'd like to talk about, let me know. Email me, and I would love to get you onto the show. Now, TJ, where can people find you and all your goings on online? Best place to keep up with me online is uh, TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. I uh, love to talk about movies there. If you want to talk about movies, that's a great place to do it. That's really the best place to do it. Yeah, same for me. Uh, Best place is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. And on Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. It's your Muppet name. It is my Muppet name. Chadadada. <laughs> <laughs> and all the show notes and all the contact information can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com. That's all for this week. Again, TJ, thank you. It's always a pleasure talking about movies with you. Yes, absolutely. I had a blast. Me too. And thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 44. I'm Chad Hopkins, this was Cinescope, and we'll be back next week with episode 45. Have fun and celebrate movies. Well, cool. I think that is the end of the official 44th episode of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> you have to leave that in. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs>